Part 1, Chapter 3, Section 29 of The Life of Jesus Critically Examined by David Friedrich Strauss, translated by George Eliot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 1, History of the Birth and Childhood of Jesus. Chapter 3, Announcement of the Conception of Jesus, Its Supernatural Character, Visit of Mary to Elizabeth. Section 29 history of the conception of jesus viewed as mythos if says gobbler in his review of the commentary of paulus we must relinquish the supernatural origin of jesus in order to escape the ridicule of our contemporaries and if on the other hand the natural explanation leads to conclusions not only extravagant but revolting the adoption of the mythos by which all these difficulties are obviated, is to be preferred. In the world of mythology, many great men had extraordinary births, and were sons of the gods. Jesus himself spoke of his heavenly origin, and called God his Father. Besides, his title as Messiah was Son of God. From Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, it is further evident that the passage of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, was referred to Jesus by the early Christian church. In conformity with this passage, the belief prevailed that Jesus, as the Messiah, should be born of a virgin by means of divine agency. It was therefore taken for granted that what was to be actually did occur, and thus originated a philosophical or dogmatical mythos concerning the birth of Jesus. But according to historical truth, Jesus was the offspring of an ordinary marriage between Joseph and Mary, an explanation which, it has been justly remarked, maintains at once the dignity of Jesus and the respect due to his mother. The proneness of the ancient world to represent the great men and benefactors of their race as the sons of the gods has therefore been referred to in order to explain the origin of such a mythos. Our theologians have accumulated examples from the Greco-Roman mythology and history. They have cited Hercules and the Dioscuri, Romulus and Alexander, but above all Pythagoras and Plato. Of the latter philosopher, Jerome speaks in a manner quite applicable to Jesus. Sapientiae principem non aliter arbitrantur nisi de partu virginis editum from these examples it might have been inferred that the narratives of the supernatural conception had possibly originated in a similar tendency and had no foundation in history here however the orthodox and the rationalists are unanimous in denying though indeed upon different grounds the validity of the analogy Origin, from a perception of the identical character of the two classes of narratives, is not far from regarding the heathen legends of the sons of the gods as true supernatural histories. Paulus, on his side, is more decided, and is so logical as to explain both classes of narratives in the same manner, as natural, but still as true histories. At least he says of the narrative concerning Plato, it cannot be affirmed that the groundwork of the history was a subsequent creation. It is far more probable that Pyrrhic Dione believed herself to be pregnant by one of her gods. 
the fact that her son became a plato might indeed have served to confirm that belief but not to have originated it tholuck invites attention to the important distinction that the mythi concerning romulus and others were formed many centuries after the lifetime of these men the mythi concerning jesus on the contrary must have existed shortly after his death he cleverly fails to remember the narrative of plato's birth since he is well aware that precisely in that particular it is a dangerous point osiander however approaches the subject with much pathos and affirms that plato's apotheosis as son of apollo did not exist till several centuries after him whereas in fact plato's sister's son speaks of it as a prevailing legend in athens olhausen with whom neander coincides refuses to draw any detrimental inference from this analogy of the mythical sons of the gods remarking that though these narratives are unhistorical they evince a general anticipation and desire of such a fact and therefore guarantee its reality at least in one historical manifestation certainly a general anticipation and representation must have truth for its basis but the truth does not consist in any one individual fact presenting an accurate correspondence with that notion but in an idea which realizes itself in a series of facts which often bear no resemblance to the general notion the widely spread notion of a golden age does not prove the existence of a golden age so the notion of divine conceptions does not prove that some one individual was thus produced the truth which is the basis of this notion is something quite different a more essential objection to the analogy is that the representations of the heathen world prove nothing with respect to the isolated jews and that the idea of sons of the gods belonging to polytheism could not have exerted an influence on the rigidly monotheistic notion of the messiah at all events such an inference must not be too hastily drawn from the expression sons of god found likewise among the jews which as applied in the old testament to magistrates see psalm eighty two verse six or to theocratic kings see second samuel chapter seven verse fourteen and psalm two verse seven indicates only a theocratic and not a physical or metaphysical relation still less is importance to be attached to the language of flattery used by a roman in josephus who calls beautiful children of the jewish princes children of god it was however a notion among the jews as was remarked in a former section that the holy spirit cooperated in the conception of pious individuals moreover that god's choicest instruments were conceived by divine assistance of parents who could not have had a child according to the natural course of things and if according to the believed representation the extinct capability on both sides was renewed by divine intervention see romans chapter four verse nineteen it was only one step further to the belief that in the case of the conception of the most distinguished of all god's agents the messiah the total absence of participation on the one side 
was compensated by a more complete superadded capability on the other the latter is scarcely a degree more marvellous than the former and thus it must have appeared to the author of luke chapter one since he dissipates mary's doubts by the same reply with which jehovah repelled sarah's incredulity footnote compare genesis chapter eighteen verse fourteen from the septuagint with luke chapter one verse thirty seven End footnote. neither the jewish reverence for marriage nor the prevalent representation of the messiah as a human being could prevent the advance to this climax to which on the other hand the ascetic estimation of celibacy and the idea derived from daniel of the christ as a superhuman being contributed but decided impulse to the development of the representations embodied in our histories of the birth consisted partly in the title son of god at one time usually given to the messiah for it is the nature of such originally figurative expressions after a while to come to be interpreted according to their more precise and literal signification and it was a daily occurrence especially among the latter jews to attach a sensible signification to that which originally had merely a spiritual or figurative meaning this natural disposition to understand the messianic title son of god more and more literally was fostered by the expression in the psalms chapter two verse seven interpreted of the messiah thou art my son this day have i begotten thee words which can scarcely fail to suggest a physical relation it was also nurtured by the prophecy of isaiah respecting the virgin who should be with child that it appears was applied to the messiah as were so many other prophecies of which the immediate signification had become obscure this application may be seen in the greek word chosen by the septuagint parthenos a pure unspotted virgin whereas by aquila and other greek translators the word neanis is used thus did the notions of a son of god and a son of a virgin complete one another till at last the divine agency was substituted for human paternal participation wettstein indeed affirms that no jew ever applied the prophecy of isaiah to the messiah and it was with extreme labor that scheutgen collected traces of the notion that the messiah should be the son of a virgin from the rabbinical writings this however considering the paucity of the records of the messianic ideas of that age proves nothing in opposition to the presumption that a notion then prevailed of which we have the groundwork in the old testament and an inference hardly to be mistaken in the new one objection yet remains which i can no longer designate as peculiar to olhausen since other theologians have shown themselves solicitous of sharing the fame the objection is that the mythical interpretation of the gospel narrative is especially dangerous it being only too well fitted to engender obscurely indeed profane and blasphemous notions concerning the origin of jesus since it cannot fail to favor an opinion destructive of the belief in a redeemer namely that jesus came into being through unholy means since in fact at the time of her pregnancy mary was not married 
in Olhausen's first edition of his work, he adds that he willingly allows that these interpreters know not what they do. It is therefore but just to give him the advantage of the same concession, since he certainly appears not to know what mythical interpretation means. How otherwise would he say that the mythical interpretation is fitted only to favor a blasphemous opinion? Therefore, that all who understand the narrative mythically are disposed to commit the absurdity with which Origen reproaches the Jewish calumniators, the retaining one solitary incident, namely, that Mary was not married, whilst the remainder of the narrative is held to be unhistorical, a particular incident which evidently serves only as a support to the other, that Jesus was conceived without human paternal participation, and with it, therefore, stands or falls. No one among the interpreters who, in this narrative, recognize a mythos in the full signification of that term, has been thus blind and inconsequent. All have supposed a legitimate marriage between Joseph and Mary, and Olhausen merely paints the mythical mode of interpretation in caricature, in order the more easily to set it aside. For he confesses that in relation to this portion of the gospel in particular, it has much that is dazzling. End of section 29